You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. Hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus called uh, the crowd to Him and He said this, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but actually what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes a man, him unclean. And then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And Jesus replied, every plant that my father uh, has not planted will be pulled up by its roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will eventually fall into a pit. And then Peter said this, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these are what make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and and theft and false testimony and slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we gather together individually and with families online in our homes, Lord, I, I pray in some supernatural way we would feel our oneness together, Lord. And so I just ask that you would once again speak to us through your word, help us to hear, help us to understand, and help us to live out uh, what you're saying uh, from this text. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, You can be seated if you haven't already, be seated. And so here's all I want to do this morning. I want to just take a look at primarily verses 10 through 11, uh, but but I want to do that by working through the whole of the passage. So so I just kind of want to work through this whole passage, and ironically enough, this entire passage, verses 1 through 20, is all centered around uh, washing of hands, right? So in the the middle of a crisis like right now, uh, we are washing our hands quite a bit. Uh, And so I just find it very ironic that the first Sunday we get back into Matthew and we're talking about washing hands. But uh, I want to show you that it's obviously not talking about hygiene or keeping us away from the coronavirus. There's something else going on with the hand washing. So I just want to work through the text real quick here. And then I've got three takeaways. That's all we're doing. I want to work through the passage and then kind of land on uh, three takeaways. And so if, if you've got your own Bible, if you skip up to verses 1 through 2, you'll see uh, where this is all kind of stemming from. And, and actually verses 10 through 11 are, are answering the initial question that is posed in verse 2. So let me, let's read that starting in verse 1. Then, then some Pharisees and teachers of law uh, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked this. And so just stop here real quickly here. So these are religious leaders of this time. It's, this is not the first encounter that that Jesus has had with these Pharisees, but it is kind of the first encounter with a group of them coming from Jerusalem. They would be kind of more, you know, kind of higher up sort of Pharisees, more like these are kind of the big dogs, so to speak, that are, that are coming in here, sort of, they've been hearing rumors about this man named Jesus, and so now they're kind of coming in to, you know, find out what's going on here. So these are 
These are kind of upper level religious leaders of this time because they're coming from kind of the central place where they where they, they hang out, and that is in Jerusalem. So this is what they come to ask him. Look at verse 2. So why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And here's the tradition of the elders that the disciples are breaking. They don't wash their hands before they eat. So, man, we are we're so far removed from this. It's like, what in the world? What's the, what's the big deal here, right? Uh, this is not an issue of hygiene. This is not an issue of like getting sick or whatever. So what's, what's the big deal? Why are the, the, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, because they're not, they're not asking a curious question here, just trying to gain some information. The way that they're asking this question is very in, indicting to, to Jesus. They're, you know, they're, they're kind of have a little dig at Jesus and his followers. And so they're they're kind of up and, you know, got their underwear in the wad, so to speak, that they're not washing their hands before they eat. Well, this has to do with a ton of laws, these purity laws that, that are all in the book of Leviticus. And I'm not going to try to unpack all of that. So give me a, a couple minutes here to try to help you understand what the big deal is here. So to wash their hands before they eat has nothing to do with hygiene, like I said. It has more to do with this kind of uh, religious duty or, or kind of a ritual purity. But the problem is, is that if you look in the book of Leviticus, God never commands that all Jewish people are to wash their hands before they eat. And if they don't, they're going to be kind of unclean. He only commanded the priests to do this when they're getting ready to engage in priestly duties. So what happened later is that the religious leaders, these Pharisees, kind of added their own tradition, kind of added their own teaching on top of the law that was added later. And they extended this into kind of like... Um, to daily life. And here's sort of the essence of what they're trying to get across. Their mindset is that, you know, what if by chance uh, we come in contact with something that's unclean and we don't even realize that it's unclean or they would realize it's unclean, but they don't even realize that they came in contact with it. They're not even knowing that they came in contact with something unclean. And so then they kind of created this sort of a mini purity ritual as a way to say that just in case I came in contact with something that's unclean, I take the law so seriously that I don't want to have anything that would compromise my purity before God. So I'm going to wash my hands, make myself clean, so to speak, as sort of a precaution just in case throughout the day I ran into something that was unclean and I didn't realize it, as well as as a way to kind of display to everyone that's watching them just how seriously they take the Bible or just how seriously, specifically, they take the Hebrew Scriptures. So here's the thing. Um, most Jews didn't do this. It was just the Pharisees that sort of wanted to put on display how much holier or even how more serious they take the law. And so they're looking at Jesus, who in this time was kind of considered a rabbi, someone that was a teacher, someone that had a great influence, and he had a group of followers there. And so, so here the Pharisees are, are sort of like raising the standard of how they should be as far as their conduct. And they're coming to Jesus going, why are you not? raising the same kind of standard, and making your disciples wash their hands before they eat. So that's the question. That's kind of what's coming from this question. And, and in fitting fashion for Jesus, he doesn't even answer their question initially. 
In fact, he replies back to them with a question. And in this question, he's actually confronting them on how they're using their own man-made traditions that they added later to disobey a clear command that God gives them to care and love and protect their parents. And so what they're doing is they're actually hiding their disobedience to God's law through obeying their own tradition. And Jesus is calling them out on that. And in fact, the passage of Scripture says they are actually nullifying the Word of God, which means this, they were depriving the Word of God of its authority in their lives in favor of their own tradition. And then he goes in verse 7 and has these kind of harsh, controversial words that he's going to say to them in their face. Look what he says here in verse 7. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are but rules taught by men. So basically what Jesus is doing here is he's turning the confrontation around by calling the Bible defenders actual Bible breakers. And then, hopefully you saw this shift, verse 10, there's a shift. So he goes from talking to the Pharisees to now, in verse 10, he asks the crowd, the disciples and others that are watching and listening to this, and he has them come to him. Look what he says here in verse 10. So he, he summons the crowd and he says, listen and understand. And so those are very strong words that Jesus has given us. And in essence, he's just saying, pay attention. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This is kind of a big deal. Verse 11, this is what he says. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So in this one verse, Jesus does two things that kind of blows the people away. It doesn't necessarily blow us away because we're so far removed from this. The first thing he does here is he does away with all kosher law. So there was, not getting into this either, Leviticus gets through all like things that Jewish people could eat or not eat. All the clean animals, the unclean animals, you know, and they give descriptions of ones that are unclean and the ones that are clean. In this one little verse, Jesus is basically doing away with all those dietary laws and the implications of this isn't fully understood and completely understood by the Jewish people. Even Peter continues to struggle with, with this and you can go to Acts chapter 10 and see his kind of revelation of what all this means, all right? So he does away with the kosher laws, but here's what's thing is most important. He, he redefines for people to help them understand what actually makes someone unclean. It's not what you put into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. And so when we hear this, for most of us, when we hear this, it's like, yeah, duh. So let's move on. There's nothing profound in verse 11 to us, whoop-de-doo. But when the Jewish hearers and the disciples heard verse 11, guys, I'm telling you, this was absolutely profound for them. They were confused. They didn't understand fully what he means. And we see this. Look what happened starting in verse 12. Then the disciples come to him and ask, um, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this, and then Jesus replies this in verse 13, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up out from the roots. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall 
into a pit. So obviously the disciples weren't really listening and understanding because they were kind of stuck on this conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And Jesus basically looks, says, look, I'm not concerned with them. I, I, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm so they're blind guides and eventually they're going to fall into a pit. And so, yes, Jesus is a very sensitive, compassionate, gentle, caring person. But at the same time, depending on the situation, he is outrageously confrontational. And he just leaves it. And then Peter comes back and says this in verse 15. Then Peter said, explain this parable to us. Well, what's the parable? Well, the parable is in verse 11. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Peter's confused. Like, what the heck are you talking about, Jesus? Verse 16. That's my translation there. Verse 16. Peter doesn't say that. Are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? And so, yes, Jesus is being crass here on purpose. So, so yes, Jesus is wanting to bring to the image for, for Peter as he's hearing Jesus say this, is that, yes, Jesus is talking about what comes out of your body. It's, it's poop. Yes, it's not what comes into your body that makes you unclean. When you eat food, it goes through this, you know, sort of, obviously not sort of, but this digestive system, and, and eventually all that junk comes out of your body, and it's, and it's poop. That's what Jesus is trying to say. They're like, that doesn't make you unclean. It comes out eventually. But then look what he does here. He turns this image completely around, starting in verse 18, and he says this. But the things that come out of your mouth, they come from the heart, and this is what makes a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But look, eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Jesus is saying here that the human heart is it's kind of like overflowing with sewage. You don't need to eat something with unwashed hands to corrupt and defile you. All you have to do is just look inside. You are already unclean. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. And then it just ends. Verse 21 just picks up Jesus moving on. And, and what I want verse 21 to say is, and therefore, like, kind of complete the thought. I just feel like we're kind of hanging here. So what are we to do this with this? What are we, um, what are we to make of all this? What is, what, is, what is Jesus wanting us to hear from this passage? So here's, here's, here's a way I want to kind of unpack what I feel like Jesus is, is trying to help us do and see with this passage. So, um, I mean, it's an understatement to say that our lives have been disrupted as a result of all that's gone on with this virus. And so it's, it's been fun to kind of think about like uh, images or pictures that kind of represent some of the disruption and sort of like chaos and, and interruptions that are happening in our life. And it's so like, I found three that I thought kind of represent a little bit of what I feel and experience. So the first one is this. I don't know if you guys feel like this with Zoom calls, but I feel like that's 
that's my life right now. It's like the Brady Bunch for crying out loud. I read an article just today that talks about how Zoom calls actually make you more exhausted than actual face-to-face meetings. And I don't have to get into that article. I thought, yes, it just makes, it makes sense. I feel so stinking tired after all these stupid Zoom calls I've got to do. And that's exactly what I feel like when I'm looking at all the time. And hopefully some of your Brady Bunch fans, I was back in the day. Uh, the, the other picture that I thought, thought of is there's a, a female cartoonist that's putting together some really funny cartoons. I would I would try to say your name, but I would butcher it just like I did Mark Zuckerberger last week. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm just making a rule. I'm never saying any names anymore. But there's a couple of them. I love this one. The scenes from quarantine, you know, the first one, the top left. Oh, no, what? This is really bad. What? I accidentally dropped a roll of toilet paper into the toilet. No! And it's, it's like, you know, all of a sudden things that were so, like, trite to us are just such a big deal. There's another one here that I thought was really, oh, I guess I just did one. I thought I had two up there. Oh, well, you need to go look it up. Google woman making fun cartoons for whatever. You'll find it. There's a, I think her name's Adrian. I don't know, something like that. The other picture is this. I don't know if this is how you feel. You just feel like it's like Groundhog Day. Like you get up literally and it's like, this is the same day. There's nothing going to be different. And so here's what I, I want to uh, put before you all this new, sort of speak, that's happening in our lives, it does have a way of creating pressure on us. It does have a way of kind of squeezing in on us. And when we feel pressure or when we're squeezed, and I know that sounds kind of weird saying that, but I think you know what I'm trying to say, it does reveal something that's inside of us. It does bring things to the surface that we normally don't always see when normal life is going on. And so my question for us is, what is it that we're seeing? What are we noticing? I love what C.S. Lewis, he once said this, how you respond to an interruption is actually who you are. Or I would even add to that, and it sounds really bad saying I'd add to C.S. Lewis, but here's what I, I would kind of add a commentary. I think when, how you respond to an interruption is also revealing something about who you are. And so I, I, I think all of us would say that this virus, all that's happened to us over these last four weeks has been a massive interruption in our day-to-day life, massive interruption in our work life, our school life, our church life, our just normal routines, like going and getting toilet paper for crying out loud. And look, here's what I'm trying to say. How we respond or even what we are noticing that is coming up is giving insights into who we are. Another way of even looking, I know I'm giving you all kinds of like mental images, but this is what I thought about this morning as I was running. It's almost like um, those little snow globes, you know what I'm saying? Those wonderful things we pull out during Christmas, or I think it's the only time we ever pull them out. I don't think we ever pull them out any other time. But I think I've seen one for summer, but that's beside the point. But you get these little snow globes, and they, they have those little white flakes, and they're on the bottom. It's, but then you pick it up, right, and you, you shake it, and then you see all the little snow and everything. It's all kind of cool and neat. Well, I think that's the picture of what's happening in our lives. Like we're all like little snow globes. And we've got all this stuff that's just dormant. But this crisis has come and shook our lives up. And everything that 
was at one time unnoticeable is now in our face. And a lot that we're noticing, I would put before you, we don't like. And we want to find ways to dismiss it, to deny it, to justify it, to cope with it, medicate with whatever. Like we don't want to be that naked, so to speak. Now look, guys, I I realize that some of what's coming up is a result of this crisis. I get that. Some of this is just like, hey, man, it's some of this is like I'm, I'm in my house, I'm, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Some of this is that, and we can kind of step some of that aside, but I do think there's a lot that's actually coming up that has nothing to do with the crisis other than the crisis is what shook it up. It's what squeezed, it's what brought pressure to help us see what really is on the inside of us. So here's, here's the good news about the gospel. The good news about the gospel is this, is that Jesus is not stepping back from that. He's not repulsed by that. He's actually stepping towards you, and these things that we hate the most about ourselves that are laying dormant in our lives that have a way to come out under crisis and pressure are the very things that Jesus wants to deal with and heal and redeem. I mean, one of my first thoughts when I read through this passage this week was like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous, right? Like seriously, like we're in the midst of a crisis and we're talking about a controversy over hand washing. Like, I mean, what in the world? Does this really matter? What's the big deal? Maybe it was a first century problem, but we're in the 21st century. Like what in the world? But as I got into this text this week, I realized that this does matter and it deeply matters. And here's why it does matter because Look, I operate from a premise that every single one of us, all of humanity is made in the image of God, that we're not cosmic accidents. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. This is, this is what we, op- that's what gives you dignity and worth and value is that you have the very imprint of God on your life. And in part, what that means, it means a ton of things, but in part what that means is that you share in some aspects of the very character and nature of God. And one of those aspects in, in character and nature of God is that God is holy, that he is, that he is pure, that he is clean, to use the words that we've been using with our text, that he's whole, that he's undivided. And so if that's a part of the very character of God, being made in the image of God means that we share in that. And so this is what Adam and Eve lived in until they sinned, and then sin entered in the picture and wrecked all of this. But here's what I would say is that those are still longings and desires and wants. I would even put before you, it is what drives you as a human being. You long to be holy and pure and clean and whole and integrated whole and not divided. I love how one author puts this, the soul or the heart or the, the core of your being, listen to this, longs for truer or not, I'm sorry, longs for true inner goodness. So think about that. Our core, the soul, 
longs, desires, true inner goodness, or as Jesus would say it, it longs for righteousness. That's why whenever you do something that's good, whenever you do something that's selfless, that's giving, that's kind, that is whatever, whatever, whenever you do something that we know to be good, there is something in our interior world that enjoys that. You feel a sense of elevation, so to speak. I mean, there's, there's something that warms our souls when we do something good. But when we do something that is unholy, that is sinful, that violates our conscience, that is bad, look, guys, look, it doesn't matter where you're on the scope of Christianity. This is a part of being a human being because you're made in the image of God. You've got a conscience. You know when you violate your conscience. And when that happens, look, it's a universal feeling. We feel dirty. We feel bad. We feel unclean. That's why we want to go take a shower. That's why we want to go watch a movie. That's why we want to go do whatever we have to do in order to cope with what we're feeling. So think about this. So what Jesus is doing in these 20 verses, he is defining for us what his aim is. And his aim is not just our morality. His aim is not just that we would keep some kind of ritual of washing your hands before you eat so that you wouldn't become unclean. No, his aim is that we would become the kind of people whose behavior naturally flows to obey and do what God says. The inner life of the soul is what Jesus aims to transform. And then when that happens, behavior will naturally come there. What you do does matter. And in Matthew 28, we see that part of the work of the church is to teach us to do all that Jesus wants us to do. And so this, but that doesn't happen by the outside in. It happens from the inside out. His aim is to transform our inner life, which then therefore also defines for us what our greatest need is. And our greatest need is to be holy, is to be clean, is to be an integrated person because I'm made in the image of God. And so part of the work that Jesus is doing through the Spirit of God, using the Word of God in our circumstances, including this crisis, is to help you see you. Is to help you see the little things that lay dormant until you get shooken up. To help you see who you really are because that's where Jesus wants to come and do his work. Dallas Willard Willard says this, and I don't have it on the screen, sorry, but he says this, the the inner dimensions of personality, what I'm always just trying to talk about there is your soul, the core of you. And look, and the outward revelation of it in action. Jesus goes to great efforts to help make this connection and for us to pay attention to it. So, quickly, here are the three takeaways. And hopefully, if you were in here, I would say, you're getting that? Does that make sense to you? 
That's what I would say, and I would be looking for head nods. I can't say that, but hopefully you're, you're following me. So I just want to give you three takeaways then. Look, look. The first one is this. Look, we're not going to be content with just going through the motions. We're not. Because we want Jesus to do a deeper work in us. We're not, we're not going to be content with just kind of, you know, whatever the motions may be for you. You know, go through the motion of praying or reading or, you know, showing up online, you know, being involved in a community, whatever. It, like, like I'm, look, please hear me. There are seasons when all you can do is go through the motions. Jesus died for that also, right? So there are seasons where that's all you have to offer. And, but I'm, I'm just putting before us that even when you're going through seasons like that, the, the cry of our heart is that we're not content with that, that we want more, that we want a deeper work to happen in our lives. And so even in those seasons where all it feels like, and maybe you're going through this right now, is that I'm just kind of going through the motions, but in that moment, I'm, I'm acknowledging that before him because it's, you know, it's a sin and he died for also. And at the same time, I'm crying out, saying, I'm not content with that. I, I'm not, God. I want you to do a deeper work in me. We're not content with going through the motions in a horizontal relationship. We're never content with that. That's not a healthy relationship. And so I'm encouraging us to not be content with just going through the motions in our relationship with Jesus. Secondly, second takeaway. Not only are we not going to be content, but we're not going to be afraid of what comes out and what we see. So, so I, don't, I don't know. Like what I see during this period of time, I don't like. I don't. I don't like the things that I see kind of bubbling up to the top and getting squeezed out. And so my posture is I want to I deny it. I want to dismiss it. Not a big deal. It's, it'll go away. I want to deflect. I'm better than them, right? Or I want to justify. Well, gosh, this is a horrible time right now, right? And so what I want to say to us is like, I don't want to be afraid of what's coming to the top. And the reason why is that Jesus already knows about it. He knows all that is in you. And you don't know it. You don't. He knows all of it right now, fully. You know about point zero 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 one. That's it. And here's the beauty of it. Jesus is not stepping back. He's not pushing the eject button. He's not moving on. He's committed to you. He's stepping toward you. The very things that we hate are the very things that Jesus knows about, and he's not going anywhere. He's fully aware of it. So the sewage we hate is the sewage that Jesus came to deal with and so whenever we see it, Jesus is not surprised or shocked or repulsed because he's already seen it. Like I said at Good Friday, the staying love of Jesus is really powerful. He's not going anywhere. He's committed to redeem you, to renew you, and to bring you home. So we're not content. We're not afraid. And then lastly, and I'll end with this. So then we draw near to Jesus We draw near to Jesus. 
Look, Jesus constantly broke the purity laws. Constantly. He touched people that were unclean. He ate with people that were unclean. He spent time with people that were unclean all throughout the Gospels. He broke almost every purity law in Leviticus. And here's what's so powerful in all of these. The impurity of whoever he was around did not transfer onto Jesus, but the purity of Jesus transferred onto them. So Jesus, Jesus' purity, and this is going to, I know it's kind of pun, but you bear with me. Jesus' purity is more contagious than the coronavirus. Amen? And so as I draw near to him, right, with all that's coming to the surface that I don't like about myself, here's what happens. His purity becomes my purity. His purity becomes your purity. And yes, this happens in an instant. When you come to faith in Christ, when you put your trust in him in that moment, you're completely whole, holy, and righteous because you are hidden in Christ. So there's a status change that happens with you, but it not only happens in an instant, but it also happens over a lifetime. And that's why we keep drawing near to Jesus. We'll not be content with going through the motions. We're not going to be afraid of what comes up because Jesus already knows about it and we're going to continue to draw near to him. So what do you see? What's coming out? What are you noticing? Pay attention to it. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.